Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly dose through your ears of all that's important in the hotel investment landscape and allied operational real estate niche sectors. Uh, This week, we've, as usual, got three topics to run through to uh, inform and entertain you. And I am here with Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And um, my name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst. So we're going to start this week by taking a look at hotel values, which uh, look to be down a bit. Uh, look to be down, but perhaps not quite as much as some people thought they would be. Um, the consultants HVS have done a very granular uh, look at hotel values. They had the the benefit of having analysed lots of individual hotel assets prior to the pandemic, and they've been back and had a fresh look at uh, revaluing quite a number of them. What they found across Europe is that around nearly two thirds of the hotels they had a look at saw a value reduction in the range sort of five to fifteen percent, with an average of about eleven percent. But of course, there were some extremes where actually some hotels had gone up in value more than ten percent, and some had declined by as much as forty percent. Um, but the the issue here is what is a hotel really worth in an environment where transaction volume has dropped substantially? So. In 2020, uh, transaction volumes dropped by almost 70% compared with the previous year. Um, if not many hotels are being sold, how can you work out what one is worth? Um, so that's one of the issues. And uh, in fact, one of the agents I spoke to suggested that the situation we're in at the moment is a bit like a Mexican standoff, where you've got the, uh, the owners of hotels not wanting to blink uh, and drop their prices. And equally, you've got plenty of cash-rich buyers determined they're going to get uh, super depressed asset sales at fantastic prices and so they don't want to play pay as much as 90 or 95 percent of uh, the 2019 price so uh, the question is Andrew are we are we going to sit and watch this for a while is someone going to blink soon yes well that is the question what is going to cause people to, to blink uh, if you look historically what has been the catalyst it has been debt providers have said look enough's enough we're pulling the rug um let's have a new owner let's have a new operator and 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 get on with life i don't think what is going to happen the rug is not going to be pulled out um, at low prices debt providers if they feel inclined at all to pull the rug um will only do so if they're sure that they're going to get their money back and why wouldn't they be in that position I mean we're in a, in a world in where interest rates are what close to zero um, we're in a world where there's a wall of money waiting to deploy I think you quoted the Prequin um, mm-hmm. number of 300 billion in overall real estate wanting to be deployed in your piece Chris uh, th- th- there isn't an obvious reason for you know for, for bankers to uh, the lenders to turn around and say look okay we'll, we'll take a hit and then then we'll put more money out into the market I think they're going to say look no we're going to hang on until until we're sorted out but I think people will sort them out in the end uh, one or the other because I think the cannier buyers will realize the only way to get a deal done here is to step in and provide solutions that enable this the the balance sheets to be re- rebuilt um, you know and, and to have a new um, lease of life coming to these assets uh, you know we are not going to see a period of the zombie kind of economy we had post uh, 2008 for 10 years equally we're not going to be having a period of the the 
sort of buy low, sell high opportunities that we saw in the 1990s. I think this is going to be a period where people are buying relatively high and having to do, you know, roll their sleeves up and get some work done uh, um, to, to make some money. But I think that's a, you know, going to be a good thing. And I think, you know, one of the themes we've um, you know, prattled on about here on the podcast over the last couple of years is this switch into into operational real estate, this end of the tenant landlord relationship, where there's much more of a joint effort to, um, in terms of ma- maximising the possibility of return on an asset by also having exposure to the opco that's um, in that asset Um, and i think these are the sort of solutions we're going to see coming to the fore in this it's a case of working harder and smarter uh, to get things done um, rather than this 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 process of simply picking up the bargains Um, if if you're in the mindset you're just going to wait it out you'll be waiting an awful long time i think and next we're going to talk about another sort of operational real estate that involves buildings with beds in and that's uh, the senior living market uh, and of interest not be least because it just ploughed on seemingly indifferent to the uh, the pandemic over the last year uh, but also because there's a couple of uh, interesting transactions just taking place currently um, one in France which is the leading market for uh, senior living rentals uh, and the other in the UK and over in France a, a brand called Domitis, who uh, are a, an operator of senior living uh, complexes. They are restructuring the, one of their shareholders who helped them grow so far, which is a developer called Nexity, is, is reducing their shareholding, but at the same time agreeing a fresh deal to deliver them a, an ever stronger pipeline of new properties. Um, and then in the UK, we've seen two infrastructure uh, investors, John Lang and Macquarie, um, agree to take on a portfolio of assets from McCarthy and Stone, which is a famously a UK builder of retirement properties. They used to always sell them on, uh, but uh, in the last year or so, they got taken private off the stock market by Lone Star because they in- they announced they intended to start building more and more for rent. If you build for rent, you've got to hold them. That requires a lot of capital, so income Macquarie and John Lang to help. Uh, take some of the uh, new rental properties off off their market. Um, so an interesting market, uh, some interesting moves, some big players consolidating, and all across Europe it seems now the the idea of uh, rental homes that specifically suit uh, those in more senior years is now being adopted as a sensible way to uh, to live in later years. It's a growth sector, but uh, it needs to make up its mind what it's going to be called. Um, is it senior living? <laughs> is it elder living? Is it retirement living? Um, or is it later living? Uh, I quite like the later living bits. Okay, yes, um, yes. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no question, whatever you want to call it, yeah. it is in growth. Um, I looked at, there were some Urban Land Institute um, numbers that said that by 2037 one in four people in the UK will be aged over 64 wow. um, 65 actually 65 I think that's both of us isn't it Chris but yeah, 2037 we? mm-hmm. we're in there um, and within the next decade the shortfall of homes with care um, will be 70,000 mm. um, so yeah there's things that need doing um, yeah the, demo- I, the demographics I, I, are all looking 
very good for people who are going into this space yeah absolutely we're an aging population and that's you know not just the uk it's most of the developed world actually Mm. um some more so than others 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 some are infamously what is it it's in japan they say there's more nappies for adults sold than nappies for babies (laughs) i think it's nice um but uh, anyway, the, I also looked at something, a uh, lobby group, Homes for Later Living, of which McCarthy Stone is is among the backers. And they, they, they produced a report in February. And uh, what caught my eye with this, uh, the headline was, Silver Saviours Can Revitalise Our High Streets. Mm. And this is the idea that we can start building these new retirement developments. And they're, they're going to be all these silver uh, saviours will be splashing the cash in, in local high street shops. And we were going to live in converted uh, department stores, then, is that... uh uh, not, not necessarily, necessarily okay, no right. the, the, the notion is that if you start building these things that um, that's a good point actually um, <laughs> <laughs> well, will they not be buying anything if you don't build the retirement home for them <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question actually but anyway uh, that's kind of undermining the point of this report I think so we, we won't go there um, but <laughs> um, but I mean the, the, the thing is that they're looking to get 30,000 retirement properties built a year rather than the 8,000 or so current well that were being built pre-pandemic so there's a clear sort of five times the level of um, investment needed or um, production if you like construction um, necessary than we have been seeing um, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the switch from sale to rental because i think this so problematic this whole sale piece mm. has been um frankly the a lot of the developers have simply been greedy they've been overcharging for their properties and um they've been overcharging for the service charges mm. and this has been massive destruction of value for any anybody who's been buying them um and you know there's a lot of disgruntled uh, descendants mm. um out there um and and that that and I think renting gets around all of that stuff. Well, sure, yeah, because um, the psychology is if you're paying X amount per month out on an ongoing basis for your accommodation, and then you can just add a layer of a bit of catering, a bit of uh, fitness and health care, mm, a bit of mm, a bit of this, a bit mm, of that. Mm. Then you know it's just all going out per month, and it's all kind of fairly simple to understand. Yeah. The problem, problem comes so when you try, and, you try and allocate a capital value to the one bit and an ongoing monthly cost to another bit. That's the problem. I guess, but it ought to be washing their face with the rental payment, oh, yeah. really, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's the whole kit and caboodle. It's, it's only, I mean, it's, dare I say it, it's rather hotel-like, isn't it? Chris? It's, so, it's, it is, in a way, yes. <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, you've, you've got a big communal living area. You've got a high level of services. It's well, I did, I did ask um, one of the guys at Savills whether uh, he thought there would be any mileage for um, any of the hotel groups obviously getting into service residences, whether they would get into serviced elder residences <laughs> yeah yeah well this is what they are isn't Perhaps it right it's, it's, it's precisely what yeah. they are it's a good question to have asked him actually what was his response well I, I think he just thought that that probably wasn't a wise thing for the hotel brands to do because if they slap slap the word elder clearly on what they are delivering right. okay from a ho- their hotel brand yeah. perspective yeah. yeah i mean back in the day of course marriott used to be in this in this segment as well so um i mean there is a parallel there whether you actually want to as a brand company get into that when you're trying to run your piece across the whole the whole population as it were that's a, that's another question i think one thing that we do need to start seeing is 
to stop the siloing of of these these um buildings mm. and stop seeing them as just you only can have elder living in in this particular area i think you need a range of stuff it's you know why can't you have student why can't you have family homes alongside that and i think on the continent um they have been more prepared to do that and i think that works uh, better actually um for that and it's not a surprise to me where you know certainly in places like france and germany and scandinavia where renting is much more acceptable um that th this sector has actually um grown quicker um so you're talking about some major players there in in, in europe in your mm. piece chris and um and i think that's understandable given that they are i think significantly ahead of the uk in in, in their approach to this and the, if you like the cultural shift that's necessary to understand that rental is is the way forward on that um but we you know there's a bunch of stuff that needs to happen in terms of the flexibility uh, you know to uh, uh, in terms of all this siloing that's going on and oh, it's elder living here it's student accommodation there you break down with that um uh, break that down rather yeah. and um, you know that needs investors operators and regulators um, to start reviewing the the way they're currently doing things. well it, did, it wasn't many months ago that um, some planners at one local authority in the UK tried to turn down an elder living development in the middle of their town because they said they didn't want old people living there they wanted younger people who would liven the place up more yeah quite um, uh, tricky yeah, one that yeah, I think yeah. but uh... <laughs> anyway uh, well let's move on let's move swiftly on to our third topic and we're going to talk about uh, jabs the vaccine and how uh, it's hopefully helping us move towards uh, getting to travel internationally once again um, and around the rule over one or two things that are going on here you've also got the um, the league table of the countries that are fastest at jabbing um, with uh, Israel uh, top of the league and uh, its, uh, its hospitality sector as in much of the rest of its economy largely reopening. Um, I think here in the UK we are in the uh, sort of top five as well things going quite quite rapidly um, but strangely Chile is also in the uh, the top, one of the top slots although their infection numbers are rising so no one quite knows what's going wrong there um, and then of course over in the US uh, we see quite a lot of businesses returning to normal quite a lot of traveling going on within the country uh, they're jabbing quite effectively too and there's some interesting initiatives around the place as uh, different countries look to a kind of um, jab strategy that might encourage uh, their their tourism sector to take off a bit quicker. In Thailand, the authorities are prioritising residents of the island of Phuket because they reckon if they get if they get the uh, the island pretty much largely vaccinated, then they should be able to get international visitors coming back in again before too long. Uh, um, your piece, I sort of look took a more broader view than just the the international aspect and really picked up what we talked about last week in terms of the precautionary principle because i i do think that particularly in the uk right now i don't 
quite understand what the government strategy is because you know it was <laughs> you're only not a few alone months ago they were <laughs> no uh, well only a few months ago they were talking you know we had matt, health secretary matt hancock saying oh it's going to be cry freedom um <laughs> we're going to be released but they, they seem to be backtracking on all that and they they, they seem to worryingly they seem to have been hijacked by the um the hawkish uh, uh medics mm. actually saying we've got to keep keep locked down and that, that is worrying me there's no question that covid i'm not a sort of um covid denier um or whatever i mean it's a t it's been a deadly disease and you know you look at the estimates of where we could have been in terms of you know half a million plus deaths um in the in the uk alone if if we'd have let it run riot um um but you know with vaccines we we are now at a point a turning point with this disease and we can actually move away from the non-pharmaceutical interventions uh, the lockdowns the masks the social distancing all of this nonsense and even testing i mean what's the point of testing if everybody's got vaccinated yes, i really i just i just don't get it actually i mean sure we've got this worry about the the variants but we're always going to have worries about new diseases well and we get a different like flu every winter um, so yeah well yeah. yeah and and if we can you know and the thing is that even with these um new variants which uh you know shown that the vaccines are less effective at stopping any sort of disease they are still effective at preventing serious disease and death which surely is the thing that matters and even better with the vaccines early studies are indicating that they're a cure for long covid and not only do they prevent long covid but people who've got long covid and get vaccinated are actually uh, there's, there's early uh, research indicating that they, they're making mm, a recovery as a result of that so this is a real chance to to break this disease now and get on with life as normal and we should be celebrating that and it should be a case of risk on rather than risk off still which but that seems to we've, we've gone you know and i'm quite concerned about you know the approach our government is taking and i i just wish there was a little bit more opposition than the sort of crankier wing of the conservative party in the uk um opposing this because i think you know we really need to see um society opened up again um the risk level as we get vaccinated is is so small um that really it's just not logical to keep us you know locked down and wearing masks and all this kind of stuff now if we really do by the end of june or july get to the point of all adults um who are prepared to take the vaccine have got the vaccine really i think you know that should be it we should then be open um and i uh, you know stop all all of the the rest of the stuff i just don't see the point of it and uh, you know that that surely is the prize that has to be there for us all um so i i come on let, let, let let's enough yes already. yes absolutely i'm getting my passport out the drawer ready mm, if only there was a plane to get onto uh, well, <laughs> we were allowed to right let's get on to our five star and no star awards and uh, continuing on the uh, thing we've just been talking about, five stars is going to go to Greece uh, for um, uh, pushing on with a vaccination program. They are getting around all of their islands, even those where there's, there's no airport. Um, they're using uh, the, uh, the military and helicopters to drop into the islands, vaccinate uh, the residents, and they hope then to be able to open up the Greek islands for tourism this summer. So, well done, five stars for them. 
absolutely couldn't agree more and i mean this is just a, you know another example of how we need to uh, get back on with life and um you know definitely five stars for showing that there are governments prepared to get back on with life and no stars this week go to the trade union unite which uh, decided it was going to save it, uh, itself and its members lots and lots of money on conference expenditure by building its own hotel and conference centre in Birmingham and uh, the hotel is going to be uh, branded aloft. Lucky you'd marry it. Uh, however, uh, the uh, the whole project seems to have become rather mired in problems. Not least the cost has ballooned. Questions are being asked about who selected the builders and why they're being paid quite so much and it's all turning out to be a rather unpleasant swan song for the uh, shortly to be retiring top bod ken mccluskey yes who wants us um, i think his politics would want us to to emulate the soviet union days <laughs> um and I, and, I, and I think the construction of this hotel uh, shows us just how clear that would work out <laughs> and on that note we wish you bye for now <laughs>